This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Tony Gattoni is a businesswoman, a master gardener, and a lifelong gardener of Italian descent. Based on her own struggles with a bad back and the limitations this placed on her as an active human and gardener, she began to research the idea of adaptive gardening. Based on all that she discovered and her own experiments, trials and errors and adaptations in the small Bay Area garden that she shares with her husband, in 2019, Tony published The Lifelong Gardener, Gardening with Ease and Joy at Any Age. In the late stages of our current growing season here in the Northern Hemisphere, and in my own mid to late middle age, there is never a better time than now to learn more about adapting to the realities of where we are and who we are and how to make the best of both. Tony Gatoni is with us today to share more. Welcome, Tony. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's, it's really a joy to be here today. Uh, to share this information with you. This has been a really meaningful book to me of late. We, uh, I was on the road for my book tour, and I came home with the shutdown and the shelter in place. And of course, like many people, I turned to my garden, which I turned to regularly, but I was at home and had everything canceled, like all of us. And I subsequently harmed both my SI joint and my lower lumbar and have been in pain um, pretty consistently for about a month, Tony. And so I am I am working on all of the things that you are going to get into with us with this book. But I'd love to start by having you tell listeners exactly like where you are in your garden life and practice, what it looks like right now, your relationship to plants. Oh, golly. Well, you know, like you, I have, uh, my garden's never looked better <laughs> because um, I'm home. I'm, I'm not going out. And so um, all the weeds are gone. And um, we, we live in a very small piece of property in Marin County in the town of Larkspur. And we have two elevated raised beds. We have about 30 containers and um, vertical gardens. And they are all chock full <laughs> of veggies and fruit. Um, I've got a um, espaliered apple tree with six different kinds of apples, wow. which is great yeah. when you have a really tiny yard. Um, blueberries that are oh my gosh it's that's like the fifth year of of their life in containers and we have more blueberries this year than we've ever ever had so um and i've got of course i've got roses and ornamentals and um but you know i have to say the roses uh, have become the bane of my existence in the garden because i'm always fighting black spot mm -hmm. Um, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, yeah. You're, you're either going to live with I it mean, or you're going to pull them out. Right. And I did, I, I, I did uh, decrease it. I've only got five rose bushes now and they better behave this year. That's all I can say. And That's what I tell them when I go okay. out. Okay. <laughs> you better <laughs> behave. And so where you are in Marin, what, what zone would that be? Um, 16, 16, 17. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you are you are 
cooler by quite a bit than than me um yes. and uh warmer in the winter and um interesting i i love the idea of the blueberries in containers and of course the the vertical gardening and the raised bed gardening and the container gardening is all going to be part of what we're talking about yes. give us though i want to go back a little bit because i think you have a really great gardening sort of history and story yourself that brought you to this love and then the work that you're doing with this love. Will you take us back to the people and places and plants that grew you into a garden and plant loving person, Tony? Well, I, I think the, the great inspiration started in my grandfather's backyard in Chicago. He was an amazing gardener. I mean, you could, you could, it seemed like each blade of grass in his backyard was was healthy and and vibrant. Um, his roses, I never saw any sign of disease anywhere. Um, and he had a very small but very productive um, uh, vegetable garden. And I, 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 I always saw the joy that was on his face when he was sharing with us the flowers and the fruits of his labor. And it continued with my mom, and my mom and I had um, a beautiful um, relationship. We were like two old shoes, we used to say. <laughs> and um, she she was very supportive of me, and whatever I felt like I needed to do, it was like, okay, great. You know, one of the, the pivotal moments in my life was the Loma Prieta earthquake, because earlier that year, my father passed away, and then when the earthquake happened, my foundation was shaken to the core. Yeah. What year was that, Tony? 89. And I made up my mind when I finally got on the ferry to come home and I could see San Francisco in flames. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to work in downtown San Francisco. And I applied for an equity line on my home and as soon as that got approved, I quit my job in downtown San Francisco and I sat in my garden saying, now what? And my garden gave me uh, the inspiration to start a business in the garden industry. I didn't know what I was going to do, but eventually I found my way to find beautiful products that I loved and manufacturers that I wanted to represent. And then slowly but surely, I added reps to my company and I would find the products. I'd go to garden shows and find the products and train them and they would go out while we would all go out and sell the products to nurseries and gift stores and hardware stores all over California. And I loved it. I loved it. It was so much fun. Um, but eventually I, I lost my, my passion for that. It took 28 years, but <laughs> I walked away from that in 2018 so that I could, you know, focus on being a speaker and an author. Um, and so and I think when you say garden products, what, what are you uh, talking about? Give us an example of, of that, oh that work. Yeah. Oh, I, I, we sold so many different kinds of beautiful products and we sold them at the San Francisco gift show. We had like 10 or 12 booths that we would set up twice a year. So it was everything from gorgeous um, trellises and fish bowls. And do you remember a few years back, all the, the words on, on stones that yes. were carved yeah. into the stone? 
that was one of the lines that I for I found, wow. and we were his very first rep. Oh wow, that's awesome! And my reps thought I was crazy that they didn't think the retail retailers would want to bring in stones from New York State. <laughs> but when the show opened and people came up and were picking up these stones and holding them and stroking them, and they would say joy or dream or create. And they would say, oh, wow, these are really beautiful. My reps are looking at me going, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so you were a woman-owned and run business all those yes. years. And um, yes. clearly you had an eye already for um, what was just ahead sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We also repped a line of poopettes. Oh, okay. And poopettes were little uh, little animals that were created from cow manure, um, totally sterilized and totally, you know, all smell was removed. They would pour it into molds and there was Pepe Le Pou and <laughs> all these cute little animals that were fertilizer that would melt into the ground. Rain. That is yeah. so great. <laughs> okay, nature, I have to admit, I have never come across well, one of the poo pets. It was a few years ago, but okay. nature bought them. Oh, that's and great. Sold a lot of those products. Yeah. 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 Um, that's wonderful. So, so 2018, you are ready for your next chapter. Uh, what, what called you to being an author and a speaker, Tony? Well, I, I inherited a lot of really wonderful things from my Italian mother. Her bad back was not one of them. And um, I started having back issues, oh gosh, back in 2010. And in 2011, um, well, in 2010, I ended up giving up my sales territory to my reps, knowing that I was not going to be able to get in and out of a car carrying samples, you know, in and out of a car 10 times a day. Mm -hmm. So I gave all sales responsibility to my reps and I just ran the business. And I thought well, with that extra time, I think I'll become a master gardener. Mm. And I, I loved it. My life opened up when I became a master gardener. Um, but I have to say, you know, um, I was kind of intimidated by all of the knowledge base that other people in my class were bringing. And because I, I, I didn't know that much about gardening aside from my, what my mom and dad had taught me. Mm -hmm. So I kept asking myself, how am I going to give back? Um, because that's the goal with master gardeners is, you know, they give you, they give you the research-based training and then it's up to you to decide how you want to participate and give back to the community. Mm -hmm. And I then a, a couple of months later, I was asked to head up the public seminars and went up to UC Davis, attended a seminar on edible landscaping, and we were asked to take that information back to our community. So I started speaking again after 20 some years <laughs> from when I was in corporate America. Here I am out there speaking. And uh, so I started doing edible landscaping and I created growing edibles in containers. And then my back went out again. Mm. And I was down for six weeks. I was in excruciating pain. And it was in January, and I kept looking out of my family room, lying on the sofa saying, I got to get out there and prune those roses. How am I going to adapt? 
And it was in that moment of saying that word that I remembered an article that I had read on adaptive gardening. Yeah. So I found the article and spent the rest of the time with my laptop on my stomach researching this subject. And it was like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. not alone. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. There's a lot of people who have bad backs, bad knees, bad shoulders, wrists, everything else. And I, I, I had lunch with our two presidents of Master Gardeners and I said, this is what I'm thinking of doing. I want to put together a talk on, on adaptive gardening. Do I have your blessing? And they said, absolutely, go for it. So I did. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Tony Gatoni is a master gardener, author, and speaker specializing in the area of adaptive gardening. She is sharing with us today some of her thoughts and strategies for gardening with maximized physical ease and joy at any age. We'll be right back after a break. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. I love the emphasis Tony places on paying attention and increasing our own awareness of where we are. What is a tripping hazard? A movement that hurts? A position that's better than others for our shoulders, knees, elbows, wrists, necks, and more. In The Lifelong Gardener, Tony includes many resources, including an adaptive gardening action plan for you to fill out. The first line item of this plan is... Gardener, know thyself. (laughs) She also has loads of resources for adaptive gardening programs, including accessiblegardens.org, links to ergonomic tool reviews, and a whole reading list of books on resilience and joy. I have placed the list in this week's episode notes at cultivatingplace.com so that you can find them there. Just in general, a reading list on books about resilience and joy seems like a really good late summer back-to-school assignment to me. I think I'm going to start with The Book of Joy, Lasting Happiness in a Changing World by the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. If you have books you want to add to this list, send me an email or comment on this week's episode post on Cultivating Places Instagram feed. I will add all of your additions to the growing list. We're back now with Tony Gatoni, author of The Lifelong Gardener, Garden with Ease and Joy at Any Age. So I'm, I'm doing public seminars and I'm looking out at my audience and, and, you know, in Marin County, one in four is over 60. So, um, I, you know, there were a lot of bobbleheads in the audience where people are going, uh-huh, yep, yep, I, I agree. And so I started and it was in 2017 at the uh, Northwest Flower and Garden Festival in Seattle that um, I presented my talk and also Growing Edibles in Containers did two talks. And a week later, I was approached by uh, an acquisitions editor wanting to know if I would be interested in turning my one-hour seminar into a book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was in that moment that life changed again. (laughs) You know, it was a huge stamp of validation that this is valuable. And, you know, it is, first of all, a growing uh, audience 
and population of people. I, all of the statistics, you know, are demonstrating that we are uh, a remarkably aging population and we live longer um, across pretty much all demographics. And, um, you know, with this COVID-19 shutdown, we have more gardeners than ever. And I think, you know, you and I would agree as lifelong gardeners ourselves that one of our goals needs to be, um, again, across all demographics, how do we support these new gardeners coming into the passion and get them to stay here with us as gardeners who are improving our environments and our economies and our global well-being. Um, the work, I think I first heard the term adaptive gardening um, in researching uh, healing gardens and therapeutic horticulture and therapeutic landscape design and that evidence-based work. And um, it is such a growing field in some ways, but it hasn't, I feel like it needs all the support it can get to be um, maintained as a really valuable, valid field of horticulture as we move forward. We know that people who are traumatized or ill or have any able body uh, issues can all use more information about how to support their gardening practice. And yours is certainly a wonderful addition to this whole field of research. So as you were, you know, you had clearly done a lot of research already, and um, you were going to put this into a book. What were some of the kind of additions to the work for you that you brought in as a result of your research and writing of the book, Tony? Well, I think more than anything else, you know, I was bringing to the table, you know, a lot of research, but I, I kept going back to my own specific needs and, and what I found, um, some of the things that, that were so beneficial for me was if I go out and just grab my pruner and put my gloves on and go outside and start working away, if I'm not conscious of how I garden and when I garden, I end up with pain at the end of the day or even worse, the next morning when I can't get out of bed. So I started thinking, okay, so what can I do that helps me that I can then share with other people? And I think one of the most important things is for people to warm it up before they go out. Yeah. In other words, you know, uh, turn on some music that you love to dance to, um, do some stretching exercises, or, or something that I found, and even my husband has found of late, is uh, we do yoga before we go out to garden. Yeah. And my husband, who has never done yoga in his life, one of the silver linings of this uh, COVID pandemic is that he is now doing yoga with me every day. And he loves the downward dog. And I'm like, really? I, I'm just, I'm shocked by this. He said, if I just did downward dog before I'd go out to garden, it would help eliminate a lot of pain. And I, right. I, I'm like, okay, go for it. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I remember, I don't remember what year it would have been, but there is that uh, wonderful book called uh, Gardener's Yoga. And I remember my uh, elder aunt uh, sent it to me, uh, yeah, I want to say five, 
five, 10 years ago, but um, this idea of warming up, because I think, you know, I don't know how you are, but if you are anything like me, um, gardening isn't always something I actually prepare for. I'm walking from the house to the mailbox or I'm walking from the car to the, you know, the house or from the kitchen to the compost pile. And all of a sudden I see something that needs doing. And so then I'm doing it. And then, then I've been there for four hours. And so that the idea that it is a physical exercise, um, like any other physical activity or sport that we do is a, is a little bit of a mindset shift. That's important. I think. Very definitely. Um, and uh, The way I look at it is, you know, it's the warming up, but it's also, again, having a consciousness that when you're gardening, that you're you're not going to go all day or even four hours, like you you just mentioned, that you're gonna you're gonna do a chore for a certain period of time, whatever works for you. Maybe you're gonna be doing some raking, and just do that for twenty minutes. And then think about that muscle group that you used and switch it up. Uh, Get down and and do some weeding or do some transplanting, whatever you're going to do. Switch it up so you're not using the same repetitive muscle groups over and over again, because that's what causes pain. Right. So do you have tips for us on this? I think you do in the book. Like, how do you cue yourself that I've been weeding now for, you know, (laughs) four hours? You know, how do you, because I think one of our great joys in the garden is that we lose ourselves, right? We we go and our head clears and we're focused and we lose, we we get into that beautiful creative flow state. And, but that flow state is also not working out well for my lower back, for instance. Yeah. That's what the flow state is. um, I interrupt the flow state with one word. Basta. (laughs) basta is that my mother used to say to us and basta means enough because you know you're probably like like me and that well i'll just do this one more thing just one more just Mm -hmm. one more and you know darn it anyway but that's the one more thing that all of a sudden you kind of yeah so I really, really try to be as conscious as I possibly can. And when I'm working and I, if I can remember the word basta, say, okay, I'm going to switch gears now and do that for a while. It has helped me immensely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, it, it, and then it doesn't overwear any one part of our body or muscle group, but actually works to strengthen it um, so that it can endure longer over, you know, months and years, not over today. Um, I think that's, that's the other sort of feeling of urgency. So did some of this deepen or expand as you were doing the research to prepare the book? Were there surprises in there for you? Yes, there was. I mean, in the beginning, my intent was this to be for for seniors because I know that there are so many baby boomers becoming, you know, turning 60, 65 every year. But it was when I started doing the seminars that I would have people come up to me that were in their 30s and saying, you know, I, I've had this bad back of mine, maybe not for as long as you, but 
boy, it really puts me down. Or, you know, 40-year-olds that have to have a knee replacement. And so it was through the, the interaction with the audiences that helped me to better define the book and, and the, the scope of the book to include people of all ages and all abilities. And it's about being uh, resilient and finding a way to get beyond the tragedy, the traumas, the challenges that life presents and find another way to get it done. And, and find another way to um, have this thing that we know we love and adds to our lives be uh, accessible for as great a number of people as possible. I, I think that's, that is one of our, our great mandates as people who um, have had the, the joy and privilege of learning how to garden and having time invested in the garden in our lives that we, we get that word out and support other people in this passion because we know that it makes a difference in so many different ways. Exactly. Well, I, it's it's really joyful to see this gardening renaissance that is taking place. Um, who would have thought? I mean, the growers certainly didn't anticipate this, nor did the no, nurseries. No. And um, you know, and I love but, that yeah. sentence that you started us out with, which was your epiphany, mental statement to yourself, question to yourself: How can I adapt? And I think that's just a great like lifelong question for, for all of us in, in any situation, right? But especially in, in our gardens, I think, and as gardeners in this world. So, okay, so walk us through the book. How did you ultimately, because I'm, I'm guessing you might have gone through one or two different versions of how to structure it and, and what, what lessons you really wanted to make primary for people uh, who were just getting into this idea. Well, I, I divided it up um, in, in three sections. And the first is about the gardener and the gardener's body and what they can do to consciously um, really be aware of how they garden and when they garden. And, you know, reminding people, I mean, most people, uh, you know, are using sunscreen. They know an SPF 45 is the minimum that they should use for a good sunscreen. Are they aware that if they buy a great garden hat or apparel, that it should be a UPF 50? Mm. It's a very different code. Um, are people, I help them to understand and, and to, to realize they're not alone, that as we age, uh, we have less um, ability to be out in high temperatures. Uh, we have a greater sensitivity. And I know for myself, I was just out the other day and my husband looked at me and he said, I think it's time you take your own advice and sit down in the shade for a while because your face is awfully, awfully red. Yeah. And it was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it helps me to be conscious myself. Um, so it was all about the garden, the gardener and how they can be opportunistic. Uh, in other words, go out and do weeding after your drip irrigation has gone off or after it rains uh, to take advantage of when the soil is going to be a little bit more, um, more moist. And so then the second part is all about the garden and how gardeners can 
reevaluate their garden and to determine how they can modify their garden or make changes to their garden to increase their comfort and their safety mm -hmm. in the garden. And I spend spend some some good amount of time talking about hardscape. Um, yeah, so give us some examples of that. When when and and I know yeah. one that comes to mind for me, but but describe to us what what do you mean when you say that? Well, many of us got seduced by the look of um, curving flagstone paths. And that's what I installed in my small garden. So from the very front walkway, you go off to the right, you go off to the left, and it's these flagstone paths. And when we put them in many years ago, we took our lawn out, we didn't think about the spaces between the flagstone. So, and I planted, you know, woolly thyme uh, in the first time around. I put in woolly, woolly thyme in between because I love the colors and I, I love the fragrance that it gives off. Well, along comes the drought and the ground cover is gone. So it just dried up. So now I am faced with gaps that are several inches wide and sometimes several inches deep. So of course I continue to plant ground cover and lo and behold, another drought, uh, drought comes along. And it's those gaps that are tripping hazards. And I know in, 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 in my own garden, you know, I've, I've got some leery up that keeps kind of growing in between. And if that's wet after a rain or the drip goes off, again, it's a tripping hazard. So I'm constantly having to pull plants out of there that don't belong there. And so I suggest to people, it's an expensive proposition to change hardscape, but I suggest to people that if they can do it, that they look towards replacing uneven surfaces such as flagstone with a three to four inch path that is a solid surface such as cement or interlocking pavers. In her book, The Lifelong Gardener, Tony Catoni writes, quote, We all love to garden, yet many gardening tasks like raking, pruning, weeding, digging, can play havoc with our bodies. Drum roll, please. Adaptive gardening to the rescue. End quote. We'll be right back for more with Tony sharing what she's learned through research and life about gardening with greater physical ease at any age. Stay with us. Okay, so thinking out loud this week. The irony is not lost on me that sometimes it is our very ability to adapt that blinds us that keeps us stuck in a place we don't even see anymore. Just one example. Say we move to a new space, a new house or garden, and we set it up kind of thinking through it all, like where will the hoses go? Where will the standing tools fit? And where should I put the potting soil or even the pots themselves? And then, hmm, five years, 10 years, 20 years later, 
we are still living with this exact same arrangement, even though it might have become apparent to us within weeks that the initial setup did not make sense in one or two important ways and was not the most efficient or comfortable or helpful. Case in point, I set up my two covered compost bins in my small suburban garden, too damn close to the neighboring fence five years ago. This makes it really difficult to open the bins with one hand, which I am routinely attempting to do anyway because I walk over to them with my hands full of sloppy compost from the kitchen or an armload of clippings from the garden. Every week I do this. It means I have to set my load down, losing some of it in the maneuver, use both hands to pry the lid off the bin, and then gather the gleanings back to get them into the bin. And then, without fail, I don't put the lid back on securely because I have to tip the bin away from the fence a bit to get the lid back on, and so then the lid falls off and either creatures get in or the bin dries out. Oh my word. I'm sorry you even had to listen to this admission of awkward and lazy fumbling in my garden. So what do you think I'm up to this weekend? Yep. I'll be working on the readapting walk through my little garden in order to mark or remove the more physically painful of the quirks I have built into it myself, like the hose I have to step over on my way to the compost with my arms full. But that's another story and adaptation for me to unlearn. Unlearning is hard. We all know this. But spending time in my garden to re-see and really see her, well, that is worth every second. We're back now to our conversation with Tony Gatoni, lifelong gardener, talking to us about ease and joy in the garden and as a gardener at any age. As we come back, she's sharing her advice with new gardeners of any age to start from the very beginning, thinking creatively and proactively about ergonomic comfort in your very first garden designs and tools. Welcome back. And I think this also plays into the new, uh, the new gardeners, the novice gardeners who are starting out. They're they're so eager uh, to to learn how to garden. What I'm suggesting to people is it is to think, you know, put in a garden not just for today and for this season, but for your lifetime. In other words, um, a lot of people are are building, putting in raised beds. And I did the same when I first got started. And our raised bed was like eight inches high. And then my husband needed a knee replacement and my back was out again. So that following, you know, we, we, we got through that, that season, but then what we ended up doing was lifting that up. And I suggest to people that instead of just a raised bed, it's an elevated raised bed. Waist high whenever possible. And then that way, if you're planting, you're tending, you're harvesting, you don't have to bend over. You can sit down next to it, or you can sit down on the side of it, whatever, however you've constructed it. And you're going to be able to garden in that elevated raised bed for years to come rather than just a season. Mm -hmm. And so when you say elevated, is it like uh, one of the trough 
kind of beds where it's actually up on legs so that you could put a wheelchair legs under it or a walker can go right up next to it. So it's empty or, or open at the, under the bottom. It, it's open. Yeah. Yes. And so how deep is the, the soil portion of that elevated bed? Um, I'm going to say, tw- um, I was going to say about 14 inches, maybe 15 inches. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And ours are four by four. Again, we live on a, a small piece of property. Uh, and we've got two of them, um, and we've got one of them is dedicated to be a cutting garden, and the other one is for our our veggies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so elevated and, raised beds. Yep. Right. Containers. Mm-hmm. Containers are a great way. Now I am blessed with um, a lot of containers, um, many of which, unfortunately, are made of concrete. So they're heavy to look at, <laughs> let alone move. And the whole idea of containers is that you can move them around and change with the seasons. And these are not as movable as I would like. Um, I, although I, in the next part, I can tell you about a tool that helps with, with moving those pots. Um, and then I've, I also kind of fell in love with terracotta, uh, Italian terracotta pots. So I, I do have a plethora <laughs> Of, of pots that I'm always rearranging. And so like I have on my front porch, a salad bar, mm. which has um, arugula and spinach and all kinds of salad greens and some herbs. All right. So containers. And then the third thing are vertical gardening opportunities. I have window boxes under most of my windows that are just great for growing all kinds of things, whether they're flowers or succulents or salad greens. I also have some vertical planters. I have a vertical planter on my south facing patio that that I have succulents in that is gorgeous. You can do all of the work that you need to do standing up and then you can stand back and admire what you've just completed. And then I don't know if you've ever seen gutter gardens. I have, but describe them for us. For this, I suggest that you do not use recycled gutters but buy new gutters, plastic gutters, and you simply drill holes in them, you know, every six, eight inches, and they're fairly narrow. So you want to think about just growing shallow rooted plants, such as succulents, but I think what's really great are salad greens and lettuces. Um, Plant them up and put them on a fence and add drip irrigation to them. If you're short on space, it's a great way to grow lots. Okay, so in an area like mine where it is very hot and dry, what, like how quickly do those dry out? Do they require a lot of irrigation? Um, I would suggest on something like that that you would probably want to irrigate every day in in as hot a climate as what you have. Mm-hmm. It depends on what you're planting. I mean, if it's salad greens, you know, if, when the, the lettuce is kind of drooping, you're going to have to go out there and, and water more often. Um, in the case of strawberries, for example, they're pretty darn hardy. You'll know when they need to be watered, but they're not going to require as much water as, say, salad greens. And of course, succulents, you know, can go... I I water my succulents maybe every two weeks. Yeah. So I think that is a great um, 
you know, point just about being really aware of resource management in, in how you use these different, uh, all, you know, ideas for incorporating these, uh, pain and, um, movement adaptive elements into our, into our gardens. And I love, I have seen gutter gardens done really well. Um, and, and especially, you know, against a building where they are either protected with shade or protected with a little bit of a heat island off of them. Um, I think they're very clever and are very beautiful as well. And, and clearly you have other vertical opportunities that you are using as well. Um, and I'm thinking back to your espalier multi-variety apple tree, Tony. Yes, that's really been fun. That I have to say, at the, at the time, you know, we, we didn't really know what we were doing when we bought it. And yet we're going to have an amazing harvest this year of apples. That's what I've been doing in the last couple of years is just, you know, what else? What else can I do that I can share with people? So it, it's really a joy to say, to say that this is what we're doing. Try it. It may work for you. Do you have tips for us on things like, cause I, there's a beautiful picture in your book of, I think squashes going overhead so that they are kind of dangling down. Do you have tips for listeners on that, Tony? Um, that, that particular photograph was, uh, was not one that, that my photographer and I took, uh, but I have seen that and I, you know, it's a little, you know, when you're standing underneath squashes hanging down, you know, depends on the variety of the squash. The one that I saw in person had pretty large squashes, which could be a little, a little scary. Uh, should they fall on somebody? But I think if you choose the right variety of squashes that, um, you know, it could really be a fun way and it wouldn't be as much of a safety hazard as a big old hanging Oh, that's great. Um, all right. Anything else that you would like to point out that we should think about in the physical garden itself? Well, I think more than anything else, the, the whole idea is that the, any, just because you've been doing something for a long time doesn't mean that it can't be changed. And you just have to really, like you said before, Jennifer, walk through your garden with these new eyeglasses, these new adaptive mm -hmm. gardening glasses and say, you know, it is true. When I go over and I do that, that's when my shoulder really starts bothering me. So maybe that's the cue to have a different tool so that you don't have to reach up so far in order to handle a vertical garden or maybe climbing roses, for example. There are other things that you can do, and that kind of brings us to the third part of the book, which is all about tools. Uh, there's, you know, I'm having sold tools to, to nurseries all my adult life, I know that gardeners love their tools. So I was really seeking out opportunities to work with manufacturers uh, for the last several years while I was still still in the rep business um, for really good quality ergonomic tools that I could then present in the book. And I think there's some that are that are so well designed. Um, one, for example, is um, 
not necessarily an ergonomic tool, but it has an ergonomic grip on it, and it's called a soil scoop. And the soil scoop, to me, replaces all those trowels that um, if you're scooping soil, you're scooping mulch, uh, you're doing furrows in your garden, the soil scoop is, is really a great tool and it's got a comfort grip on it. Yeah. So with that, I want to ask you, will you please define for listeners what you mean when you say ergonomic tools? Okay. What does that mean? The way I look at ergonomic tools is a tool that's going to keep your wrist in a straight position rather than having it be, well, if you could see my hand right now, uh, my wrist right now, instead of having the wrist bent, if the, the wrist can be in a straight position. And also that it's comfortable. For example, you can, you can make a tool more ergonomic so that it's comfortable. If you have, for example, decreased muscle strength in your hand or the dreaded arthritis, there's something that gardeners can do. I took one of my old trowels and I went down to a bike store and I asked them if they had any bike grips that they were gonna throw away. And he said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. He said, why, what are you gonna do with it? And I, I took the grip and I wedged it onto the handle of this trowel and it now became a thicker and cushier grip that was easier on one's hands. Yeah, and I think, that comes back to exactly what you were speaking of a little earlier, which is paying attention. If your handle on a tool, whether it's your rake or your shovel or your trowel or your hoary hoary knife, isn't comfortable, why isn't it? Look at it, think about it, and first of all, notice that it's not comfortable. Don't just, you know, like right. put that in the back right. of your head and not pay attention. Like, notice that and then try and problem solve why isn't it? What would make it better? Mm hmm. Exactly. Exactly. For example, I had a, a tool that, um, it, if you left it out in the sun, it would get very, very hot. And I found a product called Plasti Dip. And Plasti Dip, uh, you can buy in any hardware store. And it is a, um, a rubber, it's a liquid rubberized material that you can dip all of the handles of your tools into this. And one, it, it makes it more insulated so it doesn't get hot. Two, it turns it a different color so that uh, you can more easily find a tool. And three, um, it's going to be easier to, to work with because it has a little bit more of a cushion. And so this is, it's a great, it's an inexpensive product that you can buy. I have a gardener friend that that uh, had hired some some helpers to help her do a remodel in her garden and when she realized a few of her tools had disappeared she went and found some plasti dip and dipped all the rest of her amazing the rain the remainder of her tools in pink and she never lost never another lost. tool thus the the joy of a red handled clipper <laughs> or whatever color is going to work for you right is a is a good idea right yeah Either red or yellow is what I suggest. I'm always amazed when I see tools in green because those are the ones that you're going to inadvertently throw away when you're picking mm -hmm. up debris. Mm -hmm. 
God, how many clippers yeah. have ended up in the, the municipal uh-huh. compost, right? Um, well, I am now very aware of our time, uh, one of our great constraints as we age. I, you know, this conversation I think is important, as you mentioned already, for, for no matter what age gardener you might be, no matter how advanced uh, in skills you may be, these are really good conversations uh, and thinking points and action points for how to make your gardening practice really sustainable for you physically over the long haul. Um, as I like to say, gardening is a full body contact sport and um, it is an intimate process and to pay this close of attention to ensure your longevity with it, I think is time and money really well spent. Tony, as you, you know, as we are in summer, it's hot, it's dry, you know, we are facing the greater awareness of accessibility in in everything in our world, let alone our gardens, with uh, racial injustice and um, violence against the earth and many of her people's we are looking at this healthcare crisis of COVID and, you know, really pointing out some of our less sustainable tendencies as a human species. When you think about this work that you're doing and your own love of the garden uh, and how it connects with people that you speak with, like, what do you, what do you, how do you summarize for yourself? Where do you feel it in your body that this is really important work? Well, I would have to say it's the reaction from my from my readers, um, from my audiences that validates the importance of of this work. Uh, I I look at it from the standpoint that it doesn't really have to just be about gardening. I think this is is pertains to just aging in general. That if we have hope and we can find ways to grow our resilience, because I'm a believer that resilience is a skill that can be worked on. It can be, it can be improved. And if, if we have resilience, we're going to be able to get past anything that comes along. I mean, COVID has been a huge challenge for us in so many ways. And what's going on with with the the protests, you know, brings us back to the '60s, and and you know, brings back a lot of uncomfortable memories. But I think the most important thing is that no matter what comes our way, we can get past it. We can get to a place of instead of watching the news picking up that that pruner, going outside to the garden, knowing that the only thing that really matters is that plant in front of you. And the joy that you get is enough to offset what's happening in our world, I think. And I think that's why people are, are going to gardening right now, because they want to experience that feeling of accomplishment. They want to have the, the, the joy of growing their own food and being able to share that food with neighbors. 
I mean, one of the seminars that I'm working on now is growing a giving garden and suggesting to people to, that they grow not only just the food that they want to eat, enough food for their family, but grow enough that they can give that food to local food banks. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It has been such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Jennifer. It has been great. And, you know, you and I are both in the most wonderful place that we can be in. And I guess the only thing I want to add is, is for people to never give up. That's my theme song. Never give up because there's always another way to get things done. Gattoni is a businesswoman, a master gardener, and a lifelong gardener of Italian descent. Based on her own struggles with a bad back and the limitations this placed on her as an active human and gardener, Tony began to research the idea of adaptive gardening. With all that she discovered in her research and her experimental adaptations and trials and errors in the small Bay Area garden that she shares with her husband, in 2019, Tony published her first book, The Lifelong Gardener. Garden with Ease and Joy at Any Age, published by Timber Press. In the late stages of our current growing season, and in my own mid to late middle age, it occurs to me that there is never a better time than right now to learn more about adapting to the realities of where we are and who we are and how to make the best of both. In The Lifelong Gardener, Tony includes a list of daily bee attitudes she encourages us to adopt. These include be in a glass half full state of mind, be active and keep moving, be resilient, be humble enough to ask for help, be good to your body, be generous with your community, and be joyful. I can work with these kinds of garden beings. What about you? Join us again next week when we're focused on growing food and community, and we're joined in this by Patricia Spence of the Urban Farm Institute of Boston, working to grow more food, train more farmers, and build healthier communities everywhere. Listen in. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. To see many photos from the book The Lifelong Gardener and Tony Gattoni's own life as a gardener, check out the episode notes for this week's show at cultivatingplace.com. Our show producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. And thank you, as always, for listening. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.